it becomes easy to feel like your community is safe and that you are safe from this crime, but you're actually not safe from this crime and neither is anybody in your family, not any more so than the victims themselves that were targeted. It changes the entire dynamic and culture of the community around you and we all have to shift our perspective and realize that it's going to take the community at large to make an impact. We have to be present for them and we have to respond. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and Associate All Justices rise. of the Supreme Court. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I am Christine Long, Executive Director of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission and your guest host today. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and in this episode, we'll be speaking with four of the 15 appointed commission members to share information with listeners about human trafficking in North Carolina, as well as to discuss the commission's purpose and role. Stay with us as we discuss human trafficking and all things judicial. Joining us in studio today is Jennifer Hegwood, Chair of the Commission and Director of Communications and Policy Development for the North Carolina Department of Labor. Jennifer, welcome to All Things Judicial. Thanks, Christine. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, I think it's safe to say that human trafficking has been a topic of interest to many over the past several years, but also that much of our community doesn't understand its definition or its full picture. Can you please define human trafficking for our listeners? Sure. Well, first of all, I certainly agree with your statement that um, many people in North Carolina probably don't know what human trafficking is. And I will admit that when I came onto the commission seven years ago, I don't know that I was fully aware of what human trafficking is. But just to let our listeners know, under North Carolina law, human trafficking is minors involved in commercial sexual activity, adults induced into commercial sexual activity through force, fraud, or coercion, and children and adults induced to perform labor or services through force, fraud, or coercion. And how prevalent is it in our state? It's more prevalent than most people think that it is. North Carolina consistently ranks in the top 10 in the country in terms of calls to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that may be. Uh, North Carolina is... um, is a heavily traveled state. You know, we have a lot of interstate roads that run through North Carolina. I think we have maybe the largest number of state-maintained roads in the United States other than Texas. I think that's correct. We are also a very um, agricultural-heavy state. Um, We're a heavy um, tourism state. 
Uh, we also have a significant military presence here. And unfortunately, um, the, the fact that um, the opioid e epidemic is so serious in North Carolina can also be a contributing factor. The Human Trafficking Commission um, is fairly recent in, in the history of commissions and others that are around the state. Um, do you mind sharing just a little bit with our listeners about the commission's formation and purpose? So when the commission was first created, the legislature gave the commission um, some very specific goals and responsibilities. Um, we are charged with leading statewide efforts to combat human trafficking in North Carolina, um, and that's one of the primary roles of the commission is to look at existing law in North Carolina, to look at maybe what other states are doing, to hear from stakeholders about maybe we could tweak the law here or um, maybe maybe we could provide different training to um, maybe the medical community or um, law enforcement, making those sorts of policy recommendations, and and then even um, going a step further and going to the legislature and um, either requesting funding um, for the commission's specific or for certain activities that we'd like to do. Uh, we also, one of our main focuses is to educate the public and to increase awareness of human trafficking. Um, and one example of what we've been able to do in the past few years is um, the legislature passed into law several years ago a, a requirement that certain business establishments uh, post the National Human Trafficking Hotline phone number, as well as some additional information. I think that was an accomplishment that we were really proud of. And that brings up a, a good point and thought. Um, one of the striking statistics about human trafficking is that it is the fastest growing and second largest criminal industry in the world, next only to drug trafficking. Um, it is referred to as needing a multidisciplinary response. Can you talk a little bit about what that means or why it's so important? When I think about multidisciplinary response, um, to me that means every um, segment of the society that may come in contact with one of these victims needs to understand the best way to interact with the victim um, to make this a very victim centered solution. Um, multidisciplinary to me means law enforcement, making sure that um, our police officers know what they're looking for, that they understand what human trafficking is when they may come across it. Um, the judicial system, when cases like this get to the court system, um, making sure that our staff and our personnel in the ju judicial system understand the best way to work with these victims, um, helping um, non-government organizations, um, helping government. Um, to me, all of those different communities need to understand what human trafficking is, uh, what a victim may look like, and the best way to help those people. And how can people find out more about the commission or how to follow the meetings? 
I invite anyone who's interested to visit our website at htc.nccourts.gov and listening into our meetings. We'll be right back. Dina Joy is joining us today in studio. She is the Executive Director of Children's Advocacy Centers of North Carolina. Dina, welcome to All Things Judicial. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me here. Since you do see this in your everyday jobs somewhat, do you mind sharing with us how this is often hidden in plain sight? I think it's very much a crime that even to the children involved. So I primarily in my role work with children out of the Children's Advocacy Centers. And certainly for children that are involved, it very much starts in plain sight with us. So it's people that those children know and know well. It's either parents or caregivers. It's other family members. It's friends of theirs. um, It's people that they see in a loving context, whether that's someone that they believe to be a boyfriend or a potential spouse for them in later life. So it's people that they're going to be engaging with routinely, just like you would see any other couple that's engaging in the community or any other parent and child. And so we have to be very aware of things and engaging with kids and taking context when they are giving us information for things that may not make sense. So kids that don't have a regular bedtime, kids that aren't going to school regularly that they should be, kids that are from lower income families but all of a sudden are coming home with brand new iPhones or with iPads or with new Playstations and there's no actual way to track where those kids are getting those devices from and trying to track back to is there somebody that they're engaged with that is giving them gifts to try to lure them in to try to groom them into this type of crime and then also continuing with those gifts in order to get them to commit in those sex acts. One of the things we also often hear is is people that think when they first hear of human trafficking that it's a victimless crime and I know from where you sit and what you do every day you feel very much opposite of that. Um, Do you have some stories or situations or examples you can give that kind of demonstrate um, this crime and the harm it causes. Absolutely. So um, there is one child that I certainly will share some information around. And I think the other part to touch on is that people um, like to also see this as the movie Taken, right? So it's kids that are traveling somewhere, they're on vacation. In the movie Taken, they're abroad and these two kids are kind of taken by foreign abductors and then sold into, into sex slavery. And that's not the reality of what we see play out here. And oftentimes what we see here are kids that are actually citizens of the United States, so it's not foreign-born children, about 88% of the children are actually coming out of our foster care system. One in seven children that are reported on the National Exploitation and Missing Children's um, hotline actually are targeted and then trafficked by people in this country. And so it's children that we know well. It's our children. It's children that were born here. It's children that are citizens of the United States. And so for this particular kid um, and her story, I think it will ring true for that in that this child came from a very loving two-parent home. Her parents were married. She was living with her parents at the time. Um, They actually got in a fight over someone that she wanted to date that her parents did not believe was in her best interest. It made her angry. She was grounded. And so she skipped school the following day and ran away from home. 
she had every intention when she made that plan of running away from home to be with this person that she also went to school with. So it was another kid that she went to school with that she wanted to date. At the time that she made that decision, she was moving from friend to friend's homes, just trying to find somewhere to live. Within a couple of weeks, she actually ran out of locations to go to and was told by one of her friends, hey, my cousin happens to work in this location where he will actually pay you to go on dates. And she assumed that meant like the average date that you and I would go on to the movies or to dinner. And when she got there, she realized it actually was an escort service. And she was there for four days um, as part of this escort service. And in her words, was asked to do things that were unspeakable. She decided to leave and come home. She left on a Greyhound bus coming back home. And that actually is where her trafficking started. So she met her trafficker on the Greyhound bus. This person talked with her the entire way home, got to know her really well, got to know her story, got to know why it was she left home originally, and she felt a real connection to this person that made promises to make her dreams come true. And she truly believed that this person was going to be the person that she spent the rest of her life with. And from there, she talks about being taken to a hotel where he taught her about Backpage. He taught her about how to make money on Backpage. Um, And she was doing those things to please him, believing that they were going to live this happily ever after white picket fence life. And the longer it went on, the more she realized it was never going to be different and it was never going to be that dream. And she didn't know how to get out at that point. Um, She luckily at one point, he actually left to go do laundry um, and she realized I have to get out of here. And she took off um, to get to the police and actually get the help that she needed and was taken home. Yes, we've heard similar stories to that so many times. Um, And it really does highlight kind of the vulnerability that all of our kids, all kids have. Absolutely. Um, And how really easy it can be to be exploited, especially when you are a minor. Um, Can you think of any other situations of vulnerabilities or um, instances? So I think vulnerability um, is really key here and that it's the easy way to talk about prevention with trafficking because when you look at people that are trafficked, there are multiple circumstances that made them vulnerable to the person that then became their offender. And it's the unequal access to power that then leads to the crime itself. And so when you look about vulnerability from a kid's lens, you look not only at kids that are still socially awkward, kids that have self-identity issues or that don't feel secure in who they are. We also look at kids that have been homeless, kids that have been removed from their homes and put into the foster care care system and they may run, kids that have poverty issues, all of those things in their environment actually add to their vulnerability. So it's not just the things that make every teenager vulnerable, right? So our own insecurities about who we are as that 13, 14 year old, I think everybody can close their eyes and remember how awkward that stage was for you and how vulnerable you were. Um, But then you add other components to it that are environmentally based that make them even more vulnerable and susceptible to be being preyed on by somebody. Multidisciplinary response is not a new concept for child advocacy centers, and it is something we constantly talk about when referencing our response to human trafficking. Um, Can you share a little bit about how that looks at your centers and how that helps cases in, you know, the best way possible for victims? Absolutely. So Children's Advocacy Centers, one of their mandated standards is multidisciplinary team response um, and multidisciplinary models. And so 
the entire CAC concept was born out of that multidiscipline response. There are mandated partners at the table at CACs that include law enforcement, child protective services, the district attorney's office, mental health therapists, medical providers, the schools, as well as victim advocates and the Children's Advocacy Center staff. The purpose for that was really born out of a child's mouth. So there was a child that was in Huntsville, Alabama, um, that had given her story and she had given it to multiple partners. When she got actually to the level of prosecution and the prosecutor went to engage with her, she said, I'm not talking to you. I've told this story over and over and I don't understand why you all can't talk to each other and I have to be the person that continues to bear the burden of this story. So from there is where this was born. And these people, when they come to us for help, have multifaceted issues that need to be addressed. And at the end of the day, the actual justice part for them is minimal. What they really need is the mental health piece. They really need the medical treatment. They need somebody to help them overcome all of the brainwashing that happened that got them to this place. They need somebody to help address all of the vulnerability issues prior to the victimization. And out of that and through that multidisciplinary team, we can actually meet those needs in their totality. And what we get in the end is a whole person that at that point is seeking justice and that becomes a strong enough person to walk forward and actually give us a solid prosecutorial statement for us to keep the entire community safe from. We've been talking today with Dina Joy with Children's Advocacy Centers of North Carolina. Thank you for being here today on All Things Judicial. Thank you again for having me. We'll be right back. Human trafficking is real in North Carolina, across the state, every day, right here in the cities, suburbs, and rural areas of North Carolina. People are being exploited and trafficked for sex, labor, and domestic servitude. It's happening in towns like yours and could even affect people you know. If you think you have witnessed human trafficking, or you are a victim of trafficking, call the Human Trafficking Hotline or text BE FREE. Help is waiting. Our next guest today, joining by phone, is Jasmine McGee, Deputy Attorney General and Director of the Public Protection Section for the North Carolina Department of Justice. Jasmine, welcome to All Things Judicial. Thank you, Christine, for having me. Glad to be here. This crime of human trafficking kind of masks itself sometimes and presents in different ways. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how it might come across initially to someone? Sure. You know, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, you know, often people who are involved in trafficking situations, particularly sex trafficking situations, may be involved in other criminal activity. Um, They may be forced to be involved in um, drug sales, for example. Um, They may be, um, you know, forced to... um, be in sort of a, a street prosecution or some prostitution or some other um, kind of prostitution situation as a sex worker. Um, and so I, I think that the, these things are all um, connected. And so understanding um, that when people are engaged in um, criminal activity, particularly when they have other risk factors, um, there is 
often a story behind that that activity. Um, and I, when we have these conversations with law enforcement, that's one of the messages I think that that we try to get across is to try to understand the full picture of what you're seeing and what you're understanding and what those risk factors may be. And of course, you know, a lot of my law enforcement friends will say to me, "You, um, you know, we have to enforce the laws as they are," and 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 I understand that. But there's also a lot of discretion in um, in trying to understand what really might be going on in a situation um, and trying to to intercede and and help someone if you can. And Jasmine, we have been um, so, so happy to have you on the commission for the past four years. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to the commission and uh, a few of the things you've been working on? Sure. Um, yeah, I came to the commission about four years ago um, and as Attorney General Josh Stein's representative. Um, and it's been um, an amazing experience. And one of the things that I'm most excited and proud of is that the Attorney General has been um, committed to using um, his platform to promote um, anti-trafficking efforts across the state. Um, and w- we just really value our collaboration with the commission and all of the stakeholders across the state. As do we. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking your time today and joining us for all things judicial. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for doing this. I'd like to introduce our next guest on the phone with us today, Angelica Wind. She is the vice chair of the North Carolina Coalition Against Human Trafficking. Thank you for being here today on All Things Judicial. Thank you for having me here today, Christine. Can you share a little about how this is a crime that's hidden or often missed? Uh, Yes, human trafficking can look like someone uh, working at a a restaurant or a massage parlor uh, or any other place of employment and not being compensated for their labor or being forced to work without any compensation. The other uh, way that it can look like in terms of the survivors that we work with, in fact, uh, a good portion of the survivors that we work with are individuals that have been trafficked by either a family uh, member or an intimate partner, uh, whether it be labor or uh, commercial sex acts. Uh, and, and that can be a little bit more difficult to spot. And in fact, I, I would make the argument that uh, spotting human trafficking, if you uh, don't know what to look out for, it's a little bit uh, more difficult to spot because survivors are living within our community. Um, and we, as a community, if we don't have that lens to be able to look for certain signs, uh, we it, it certainly makes it more difficult to spot. What, what are some of the reasons you see in your work with survivors for why they haven't come forward? One of the top uh, things that we see uh, with survivors we work with is that they will not describe what their experience is as human trafficking. Um, they sometimes describe it as intimate partner violence or uh, or at times they feel that uh, they because they love the person, they've consented to it, so it wasn't something done by force. Uh, and and that is probably one of the, the biggest uh, barriers that we have as to why survivors don't come out of the shadows. One is they don't identify as a 
a human trafficking survivor. And so, two is that they may not know that there are resources out there that support uh, human trafficking survivors. And then the other reason is because, um, especially as it relates to uh, commercial uh, sexual exploitation, is that uh, they may be feeling as though they're committing a crime and they don't want to get in trouble. And so, therefore, they don't want to disclose what's happening to them because they also feel like they've committed a crime. One other thing I'd like to ask you, Angelica, is about um, a topic that came up earlier um, in our podcast today, and that was about the opioid epidemic in North Carolina. And um, can you kind of describe a little bit about how substances or substance use might um, intersect with human trafficking? What we know is that uh, the opiate crisis is just that, a crisis. Uh, but we know that there's some intersectionality as it relates to human trafficking. But because what we find is that when you have a individual that is, uh, you know, dependent on opioids or any other substance, um, and they do not have the financial means to to purchase uh, or pay off their uh, debts with um, the drug dealer, that they are more vulnerable to being trafficked, um, or they are uh, also in a place where uh, they may traffic a loved one. More particularly, when we talk about youth and you know children, is that we know that there are parents and caregivers who are, uh, due to uh, substance abuse, are making decisions that they normally wouldn't have made, such as uh, trafficking their children to either get more drugs or uh, trafficking their children to pay off their drug debt. Uh, and we know that normally uh, these individuals wouldn't be making those decisions, but for the fact that uh, the substance abuse being the driver behind it. The other piece is that when we talk about substance abuse is that traffickers also use that as a tool, it, whether it's to intentionally uh, make the victim um, to use drugs, to get them hooked on drugs, to either uh, numb them so they can continue to be exploited or to use that as a, a tool of power and control, right? You have the trafficker who is the one that's in control of providing uh, the victim the, the, the drugs, right? And therefore, they're less likely to leave and more likely to um, do what the trafficker uh wants them to do uh, in order to be able to get their next fix. Well, this has been so helpful to hear from you today and hear from some of your experiences in the work that you do. And we just thank you for joining us and thank you for your time on the commission as well. Well, thank you for having me. And more than anything, thank you for shedding light on human trafficking because it is something that impacts our state. And that the more that we can spread the word through outreach and education, that's the closer we can come to a solution in our state. So Thank you very much. I hope you found our show to be informative and enlightening about the prevalence of human trafficking in North Carolina. Some indicators of human trafficking include signs of abuse, such as unexplained injuries or signs of being controlled. Other signs could be a person not in possession of their own documents or someone working for little to no pay in order to cover a debt. 
Remember, any commercial sex act involving a minor is also human trafficking. If you believe you are a victim or know a victim, there is help available. Call 1-888-373-7888 or text BEFREE. If you would like to learn more about our guests, the topics we discussed, or have comments or questions, please visit nccourts.gov and search for all things judicial. I'd like to thank our guests and thank everyone who made this episode possible. I'd especially like to thank you, our listeners, for your support. This podcast is a production of the North Carolina Judicial Branch Communications Office. I'm Christine Long, Executive Director of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening. Next time on All Things Judicial. I'm Michael Morgan, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina, On this episode, I'll be speaking with retired North Carolina Court of Appeals Judge Wanda Bryant and current North Carolina Court of Appeals Judge Fred Gore. I was one of the first uh, wave of young black children to integrate the public school system. My cousin and I entered in the fourth grade into this uh, new and different, very different uh, school system. From that point on, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer because I saw law as justice. Former Chief Justice Henry Fry just showed me that you could be at the highest of levels with all the groundbreaking he did as a pioneer and now to know that I walk the halls he walks and now knowing that even now I've got his cell phone number and he lets me call him Henry. It's just spellbinding to me for these opportunities. And I've had the occasion to see some of former juvenile offenders now in high school um, that have come through the juvenile system that are doing well. And them to come up and say, Judge, I ain't doing bad anymore. That overwhelming sense of pride and that if I saved one, Justice Morgan, if I saved one, then I'm doing what God put me there to do. And that's that's the sense of pride that I feel. Look for all things judicial at ncourts.gov or wherever you get your podcasts.